Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. TV radio seeks to inform and engage the bride of Christ to stand up and take your place in the army and the kingdom. We recognize our battle is not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities and the powers of the air. We are a ministry of prayer, and we highlight what God is doing through other ministries and ministers across the globe. We provide a platform for ministers and a place for the bride to come together and rally around each other, hold up each other's arms, and pray for one another. WATV Radio celebrates the various missions that God has called each one of us to in this army, so we desire to promote and enhance the bride as a whole. Go, bride! Our soon-coming king awaits. This is a WATB disclaimer. The views and opinions expressed in this show do not necessarily reflect the views of We Are the Bride Ministries, We Are the Bride Radio, or We Are the Bride Television. Thank you. Welcome, my friends, to the Texas Power Hour with Pastor Carolyn Sism and Friends. This radio show is an outreach ministry of Eastgate Ministries in Katy, Texas. Experience the power. Experience the glory with Pastor Carolyn Sism. who were following the Spirit, 
they changed the trajectory of the church. I believe this is one of those books. Now I don't, and it will be it's also controversial because we still have some old timers out there, and I love you all, who do not believe that God is a seer anointing that people see in the spirit. They hear from God, and they think that everybody else hears from God too. Well, I do. I'm blessed. So I don't. I hear from God, and I see. Now I like to hear more, and I like to see more. <laughs> but I am blessed that I have those two gifts operating in my life. So there, it will be controversial. Um, and if you have questions at the end, he uses the scriptures about angels. I expect when I finish, you may have some questions. Uh, he has all the scriptures about angels. And I have different teachings on the website about angels at different times the Lord has had me preach. They're called to, they're, they are in the realm of the spirit and they're sent to minister to you. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands of angels. Ten thousand times ten thousands. You've heard me say there are unemployed angels that were sent to you and you haven't activated them to what God sent them to you to do. So, uh, and they are sent, they're ministry spirit. They're sent to minister to us as well as they minister to the Lord and whatever else they do in heaven and on earth. Okay. <clears throat> this is a quote uh, from the, on the back of the book here. Uh, it says, For as long as he can remember, Blake K. Healy has seen angels and demons. He sees them as clearly as he would see you if you were standing right in front of him. He sees angels dancing in worship services, and whispering words of encouragement. As the worship gets higher and higher in the spirit, he sees the angels just get it. There are more angels and there are more worship and it's just delightful because all of heaven worships Jesus Christ. And this is what we do. He, hears, he sees them whispering words of encouragement in people's ears. He also sees demons latching on to people and perpetuating addiction and bitterness in their heart. You heard me say before, if you hear a voice that's trying to make you bitter or angry or fussing or trying to stir up pus in you, I call it pus, uh, that's a demon talking to you. It's certainly not God. A demon is talking to your flesh. The Veil Chronicles how Blake matured in this gifting which I, I found very fascinating because we have to perfect our gifts and callings. I knew, I, I didn't know as a child. I, I had discernment as a child. But I didn't know what to do with it. And some of my knowing gifts, <clears throat> I think everybody knows what I know. And I, because I know it, I figure everyone on planet Earth knows it. Yeah. But see, this is what you have to mature in the gift. Because then you have to have patience with people when they don't know what you're talking about. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I, I, I enjoy the book of another level, watching how he matured in this gift. How he ran from the gift. Mm -hmm. How he hid from the gift. Mm -hmm. 
and he, how he tried to hide from people with the gift. I've done it all. Um, as a child and teenager growing up, he struggled with overcoming the fear and confusion of what he saw. He's transparent with his struggles and how he learned to use his gift of seeing for God's glory and how to teach others to do the same. You see, whatever gift God gave us is for God's glory. To perfect, to and to edify and to build up the body of Christ. Not to build us a name, fame, fortune. This is Blake K. Healy I'm quoting here. This is the story of how I learned to use the gift I was born with and how I discovered that every single thing I saw pointed back to the absolute perfect love that God has for his children. People harassed, once they found out he had this gift, of course some people told him he was crazy, thought he was crazy, and they thought, you know, I'm sure, you know, they thought, thank goodness he had godly parents that protected him and he was, and they finally got into a church that recognized he had a gift. But still, there's going to be people think that you're nuts. Right. Uh, believe me. Uh, they wanted to lock me up in a mental hospital. Then I began to see in the spirit and see demons and call them out. People don't want you calling out their demons. They like them. <laughs> they like their demons and their pride, especially Christians. Their, I mean, their pride of their Christian walk, and then you're going to call out their demons. So it, um, you have to learn how to handle the gift that God gave you. So Daphne, let me share a couple of stories. But I hope the book, the stories will serve you not only to purchase this book and take the journey with Blake into the realm of the spirit. He, this is from the book. He said of his story. He says, my first memory of seeing an angel, I was two years old and buckled into a car seat in the back of my parents' minivan. My mother was in the driver's seat chatting with the teller at a drive through bank window. A small cluster of baseball-sized lights were drifting in the air above my mother's head. The lights swayed back and forth in time with the worship music that played on the radio, drifting like they were caught in an underwater current. When Shannon was little, I would go in to kiss her good night and she would tell me there were lights dancing over her bed. But see, I knew what that was. She says, Mama, there are lights dancing over my bed when I go to bed at night. That was angels. I think I probably told her that was angels. I don't know how much of that stuck, but. So he says, my second memory is seeing a demon. I was standing in my parents' room, straining to listen to the conversation they were having in the kitchen upstairs. And though I couldn't understand the muffled words, the unhappy tone made it clear they were in an argument. I stared upward, hoping they would somehow make their voices come through more that would make their voices come through more clearly. As I looked, as I looked up, a face morphed out of the ceiling from the drywall like an over heavy droplet of water. <laughs> he, he must have been, he didn't say how old he was, but he, he goes over his story when he's five, so he must have been maybe four. Its skin was pale with dull features except for its dark eyes. 
It had sharp pointed teeth and an odd oblong head. I'll tell another short story of Shadow I gave when she was little. Think about this. One day she came to me, and she must not been over seven or eight, six, seven or eight, young. She told me, I think I've told y'all this before, Mother, I know the difference between Satan's voice and God's voice. Wow. I said, mm -hmm. how? She said, Satan's voice is fast and squeaky, wow. and God talks slow and easy. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It, it, I don't, if she's seeing these things, she's not telling me yet, because Shannon's still, like, she's where Blake was. I'm going to send my, I'm going to buy this book and send it to both my daughters, just so y'all know. Um, then back to this demon that's morphing out of the ceiling, okay? Its skin was pale with dull features except for its dark eyes. It had sharp pointed teeth and an odd oblong head. The demon pulled free from the ceiling and drifted toward me. I saw that everything below its shoulders was no more substantial than smoke. Not having much interest in what the flying go was planning to do once it reached me, I turned and dove headlong into my parents' bed and pulled the blankets over me. Good plan. <laughs> After a few moments of silence, I worked up the courage to peek out with my quilted shield and it was gone. I didn't know I was seeing in the spirit when I was young. I remember seeing lights and colors swirl through the air when we went to church on Sunday. I recall the occasional shadowy winged creatures soaring over my Southern California neighborhood. But to me, they were no more fantastic or unusual than a low-flying plane or a dog walking down the street. I tried to point out these intriguing anomalies to my parents, insisting that I'd seen a dinosaur flying over our house or a man painting light on the ceiling. They paid little mind, assuming I had a colorful imagination and I paid even less mind to their disinterest. I figured they didn't care about the dark, dark monsters and beautiful lights, just as they didn't care about the trees, the buildings, and the ATM machines that my young mind found so fascinating. I had no reason to think that anything was out of the ordinary. My parents knew God. They fervently pursued him. They got saved. Uh, after he was born. The church we attended didn't believe the gifts of the Spirit were meant for today. So my parents had no reason to expect that I'd have one of these said gifts. They were intent on serving God to the fullest. You know, if you pursue God, you will find him. No matter where you are and who's trying to block you, if you pursue God, you will find him. And the same thing with your ministry. No one can block your ministry. Mm -hmm. If they try, God's just going to open it up another way. Mm -hmm. That's the reason why if you tell me you got a ministry, I say, you go to it right now and you get it done. You get it done whatever God's told you to do. He said, my dad went to Bible college and my mom began dreaming of a life as a missionary. We moved to Russia when I was five. 
the Holy Spirit was pouring out in Moscow. Now, I don't know how old he is, so I can't put this in context of what's going on in Russia. But I, just to look at him, I'd say he's not over 40. So 35 years ago, he said the Holy Spirit was pouring out in Moscow. People trembled, wept, laughed, fell, stood with arms raised, danced, sang, shouted, ran, and were healed in the presence of God. I love watching the services. Now we're talking about a five-year-old. Lights of every color would streak across the ceiling during worship. Beautiful women wearing robes made of light and paint would run along the tops of chairs with massive banners that trail 50 feet. Waves of crystalline water, oil, and lightning would swell through the auditorium, filling the lungs and eyes of the congregation with warmth. The presence of God attracts the hungry as well as the hurt. Tormented by demonic voices, some people would cry out and fall on the floor while others would shout in unnatural tones. I remember seeing men with scales growing on their necks, their eyes as red as blood. Black grime and smoke poured out of the mouths of those who approached the stage in search of deliverance while dark hands dug clawed fingers into the backs of the ones who couldn't summon the courage to go forward. It was an exciting time to be in Russia. This, this is a five-year-old seeing all this. Communist hardliners were staging a coup outside the Russian White House. Citizens were learning to exercise freedoms that had been suppressed for generations. None of this meant very much to a five-year-old, apart from the opportunity to watch a tank roll down the street. I noticed raw sores around the necks and wrists of many of the Russians in our church. I think these were marks left by the shackles the oppressive government had put on him. I had no control over what I saw when I was young. Streams of light and smoky shadows Slitted in and out of my vision, unbidden and without any apparent purpose. Now I see in the spirit whenever I have the mind to look. I have taught people and this is what I do. I could I've learned how to turn it off and I've learned how to turn it off. I've learned to do the switch because I don't have a gift like this band does. Okay. But I can turn my gift on when I want to see in the spirit. Now, nowhere near is it to the level of this. But when I, mostly my gift is to serve it. And I can activate it by praying in tongues. That's my switch. And then I will begin to see what's going on around you in your life. And I will begin to see what God wants to do right now in your life. That's how my gift operates. I was fascinated by Blake's description of the three realms and the way he presented it. Number one, the physical realm is one we all understand. This is my words and describing it. But then it's his words I'm using. 
It's full of trees, cars, buildings, mountains, bikes, people, and it's where our physical body exists. It's a cloudy but true reflection of the other two realms. That's his description of the physical. The second one is the soul realm is our mind, will, and emotions. This makes the perfect place for demons to try to influence you. Okay, the demons have access to your soul. You know that if you hung around here, they have access to your flesh. I mean, you heard us say, when we have come to the death of the carnal soul, or the dark night of the soul, when we have come through our wilderness, and we walk over into that promised land, that promised land is where we're walking in the spirit, and our soul is healed so that Satan cannot be tormenting us in our soul. But this is also the place where the Holy Spirit will speak. We make all of our choices in this realm. It's a realm. Influence of the spirit realm pass through this tumultuous area of our lives. This is where all the pain is. This is where all the trouble is. This is where all the sorrow is, all the grief. All that you're bearing is this tumultuous area of the soul. His quote I think God lives in the spirit realm, he says. I asked you, God, what a spirit was one day. He said that a spirit is raw identity. The genetic code that tells everything else how to exist. Our spirits exist outside of time and is everything we will ever be. In fact, everything we are is so unique and complex that it's only fully expressed over the course of our entire life. Our spirit is all that we were in the past of what we, what we did when we were growing up, all that we are today, and all that we will ever be in our future as well as eternity. Our lives are an expression of the spirit that God created. Life certainly isn't perfect in this tumultuous tumultuous realm of the physical and the soul. We all make mistakes in this life, like I said Sunday morning. We have, the church has not been come to, had come to that realm of per perfection so that we don't need the gifts of the Spirit or we don't need the offices of the Spirit anymore. Or we can say the gifts of Jesus, give Jesus gifts to the church. As long as we're in this realm of the soul and the flesh. Look at his words. But knowing that the original blueprint of our spirit is always available to us convinces me that it must that we can most certainly walk in that realm on earth. While each of us is a spirit with a soul that lives in a body, an angel is a spirit that is not limited by physical form. When I see angels, I'm seeing a visual representation of what and who they are. For instance, um, Sunday night we were talking about, you know, we know that in heaven there's neither male nor female. But I have seen angels, so you'll never convince me 
they come sometimes in the form of female and they come sometimes in the more form of male when I see them. Um, while I was uh, teaching, I stopped right in the middle of the teaching because I saw an angel and it was in a female form, maybe like a young angel. And uh, she was sitting with her hand on her chin listening to the stories that we were telling about the angels. Mm. And she was in the room listening. Mm. I just stopped right in the middle of the teaching because I saw this angel sitting there. For example, now this is him talking. I have to tell you when I'm talking, I have to tell you when he's talking. Okay, keep this straight. I don't want to confuse you. For example, right now, as I sit in my living room typing on my laptop, there's a tall angel standing next to the front door. The top of his head is an inch from touching the ceiling. He has dark brown hair combed neatly to one side and a stern glare that seems intent on completely ignoring my attention. He's built long and lean, is wearing leather armor that seems well placed for mobility, and is carrying a spear in his right hand that is tall and straight in his posture. This is a protection angel here to guard my home. He looks the way he does because that reflects his purpose. Since angels are spirits not limited by physical form, and a spirit is a raw identity. I am seeing a visual metaphor of who this angel actually is. You recognize whatever you see in the spirit, though you may not fully understand it. There is a familiarity that comes when you see. Perhaps this is because even though we spend most of our attention on the physical realm, we exist in the spirit realm every minute of every day. Okay, I'm back to Carolyn says I'm talking now. Okay. <laughs> keep this keep this straight. Who's talking? Okay, Sunine. Uh, we have been exercising our gift because we each, each person that meets in my house has the gifts of spirit. And so we either hear or see in the spirit by some of our giftings. And our instructions was, is to pick your place in the room and, and to close your eyes and because there, there's angels all over the room, okay? And see what you see in that particular spot. So we've done this two or three times. So Sunday evening, I saw an angel standing in front of my fireplace. This was the, well, I, I'll get back to that in a minute. I did see a really bright angel in my living room. And I think Diana saw that same bright angel. Hey, Tim, throwing in for you. Yep, just have a seat. So, Sunday evening, I saw this angel standing in front of my fireplace. He was tall from floor to ceiling. He wore a white robe, and I guess I used sackcloth when I sent that email out, but it wasn't really, I mean, you sackcloth is morning. He, this guy wasn't morning. He was authority. But it was like a textured cloth. I would say a humble cloth. It wasn't shiny and brown and all that. He had a short, dark beard, and his head was covered with the same white cloth as his robe. He appeared scholarly, and one who's standing in authority as one on assignment. So I consider he could be an angel overseeing the reading of the veil, and that and that could be. But he was still there when I woke up Monday morning. 
But I, okay. uh, he was still standing. I looked and he was still standing there. Um, so I, I, at that point, I identified him as an angel, maybe similar to the Desert Fathers. I remember Kathy Walters told me the Lord told her I was the Desert Father. You know, people always try to figure out who I am. And they all tell me different stuff. And I, I, I praise God. You know, when somebody tells me something good that I am, I just praise God. So I like that. I like being a desert father. These were holy God. They did some great work. So I copied the info about the angels to Kathy Walters because she sees angels. And she replied, talking about the desert fathers. Yes, they were scholarly, scholarly too, and were called the gatekeepers of the nation. Okay, and I had also copied it to Barbara McGraw because she has a Sears uh, a Sears anointing, and I um, forget what she said, but she had some more insight into what she saw that this angel's assignment was. I have it on my computer, but I didn't write it down. I'll think of it in a minute. Okay, now I'm back to Blake K. Healy talking, okay? <laughs> Apart from the odd looks I received when pointing out things that no one else saw, I never had a reason to think anything was out of the ordinary. I like the bright lights and glorious beings that fill my house and the church. And when demonic entities came clawing at our car windows or peered behind the eyes of the broken hearted, I never felt any real danger. It was as though I was viewing the spirit world through a thick layer of bulletproof glass. Any demon I saw was no more threatening than a cage lion at the zoo. But that all changed when I turned nine. After four years as missionaries, my parents decided it was time to go home. Rather than return to the sunny shores of Southern California, we moved to Holland, Michigan. It was the perfect kind of quaint and quiet town for a family in need of respite. We moved into a small house on Church Street, and I started my first semester at an American school. I walked onto the playground during the first recess of fourth grade. I surveyed the landscape, littered with about 100 of my fellow elementary students. I was happy to be among children like me and ran straight into the playground to begin to play. I paid no mind to the dozen or so winged men with golden spears flying over the schoolgrounds. It wasn't long before I realized something was off. It happened slowly. It suddenly seemed odd that my teacher came into class with deep cuts on her face. I also realized that no one talked about the stoic fig figures who stood vigil night and day at the school entrance. Lord, I hope they're still there today. Amen. In fact, no one ever mentioned any of the men who guarded certain people's houses or the pretty lady who walked up and down the school halls putting oil and flowers on the heads of everyone she passed. Someone was praying for that school. Not and probably his parents, you know, or whoever was praying for that school. And these animals were sent to minister to his children. 
Not even the black dog as big as a house that floated over the city drew, drew attention from anyone apart from myself. Before suspicion would turn into understanding, my world changed. I was lying in bed about to fall asleep, and my door was open just enough to let a crack of light cut across the carpet. And just as sleep was about to overtake consciousness, someone stopped in the doorway. His parents were walking back and forth out there. He said, I turned to look, thinking it was his mother. A shadow less substantial than fog, but more solid than air, slid through my cracked door. It was a vague shape of a man, little more than a head on a part of indistinct shoulders. It moved across the room, coming to rest at the foot of my bed. I had seen dark beings more frightening in appearance than this, but they could never touch me. He had that bulletproof vest around him, or bulletproof wall around him. As this shadow reached the foot of my bed, his eyes flashed. White blurs floating somewhere in the smoky head, and I felt fear. And in the book, he gives you a more grotesque description of this demon, but I don't have time. I missed to put everything into the book. He said, I wasn't afraid that I was going to die. I wasn't afraid that he was going to hurt me. I wasn't afraid of anything in particular. I was simply surrounded and filled with absolute and complete fear. My body froze. My gaze locked on those empty white eyes. Fear had no focus, no idea with which to torment me. It was a fear so cold and all-consuming that my mind had no room for anything but absolute terror. It felt as though huge leather straps had been laid across my chest, both holding me in place and crushing my lungs. Everything seemed normal enough the rest of the day, and he, got, he went on to describe this experience in the book, but I just took the, the meat of it out. Everything was normal the rest of the day. Around town at school, I saw the regular demons that I'd seen every day before, and I wasn't afraid when I saw them. The bulletproof glass that kept me feeling safe was back. I described the unpleasantness of the previous night. I decided the unpleasantness of the previous night had simply been an unusually tangible nightmare. That is, until I found the shadow waiting at the foot of my bed that night. Being a reasonably fast learner. <laughs> fast learning is good in the realm of the spirit. When I found the shadow waiting in my room on the third night, I put on my pajamas and lay down face first onto my pillow without looking at the white eyes. I wish it had been that simple. The fear came again, this time as cold, moist breath, running up my legs, along my spine, and around my neck. It still paralyzed me, but it no longer wiped my mind free of thoughts. Instead, it flooded my head with horrible images. I'm gonna go here and take his description because I was trying to break this down. Okay. I saw hundreds of people standing naked 
in a line, waiting to be tortured by some disfigured abomination of a man. A small boy was being thrown into a pit full of dead and dying men, women, and children who were all fighting to keep from being smothered by the destiny of filthy flesh. It was as if I was being shown footage from some hellish concentration camp. This went on every night for a few days. And the film wouldn't stop until I fell asleep. Finally, I couldn't bear it. I pulled my face away from the pillow to look at my shadowy tormentor, only to find that the image that had filled my mind were now swarming around my room in full 3D technicolor. The horrors continued night after night for three years. Each night seemed worse than the last. Everything went back to normal during the day. I would see angels and demons wherever I went. But this sense of separation shielded me from any fear, at least until the sun went down. I was certain I was going crazy, though I took some solace in the knowledge that the that, uh, the threat of insanity, and that the threat that the, I was aware of the threat of the insanity, so that that would make me uh, not insane. <laughs> Nine-year-old figured that if he thought he was going crazy, maybe he really wasn't going crazy. Um, let's see. This is where I stopped and I um, moved on to someplace else here, and I thought I had it marked. Okay, naturally, my parents began to suspect that something was wrong. And I realized, however, that seeing a, a cornucopia of malice pour into my room every night wasn't the surest sign of sanity. So I never shared the full extent of my nighttime horrors with them. I only said that I was scared at night, and they did everything that one would expect from good Christian parents. They prayed with me, told me what to pray, let my sister sleep on the couch in my room. Oh, by the way, they adopted this, this sister when they were in Russia. But no matter what I prayed, nothing changed. Speaking the name of Jesus felt like throwing sand at a hurricane and singing. God has not given me a spirit of fear, only made the demons laugh. Having my sister breathe sleep on the couch next to my bed helped a little only because I could look at the angels who huddled around her while she slept. I would occasionally sneak into my parents' room and crawl halfway under their bed to escape the contents of my room. Everything I tried only worked for a short time. Nothing stemmed the tide of terror that drowned me each and every night. After three and a half years of living in Michigan, my parents decided it was time to move back to California to be closer to the rest of our family. Some part of my heart, for reasons I couldn't explain, believed that this transition would bring change to the inescapable spiral of fear I had been trapped in for three years. Hope, indistinct as it was, dulled the pain of my vision. And though the weeks leading up to our departure had some of the worst of the nightly horrors, I couldn't help feeling there was down a light at the end of the tub. Okay, I had something marked here. That I, okay, what I'm going to do, he goes on and shares 
his journey of this, and he went to a church in Redding, California, where Bill Johnson is now, and they helped him through this. Uh, and he tells the stories of, of different things that he had. But I want to get to the part about the different kinds of angels and share that. And then we're going to use this gift. Y'all agree with that? Um, angels. Y'all okay? Y'all still sitting here? Somebody left. Who was Isaac? Uh, okay. He describes different types of angels that he sees. Um, protection angels, worship angels, personal angels, activation angels, and deep heaven angels. I don't know if we'll get through all of them, but I'll try to get the highlight of it. Y'all okay? Okay. Uh, there was a period in my life when worship was an extremely frustrating experience. Being a 15-year-old boy probably had a lot to do with it. But at the time, I attributed this dissatisfaction to the 780 or so Sunday morning worship service, services I had attended in my brief life. The church, my family, and I attended had the best group of musicians and singers of any place we'd been. A committed and talented worship pastor and a senior pastor with an immensely strong value for worship. Regardless, I couldn't seem to bring myself to cater. I talked with God more than anyone, but I couldn't worship him on Sunday morning without a sour taste forming on the back of my tongue. And I did my best to blame everyone else for this problem. How many in church, if they can't get into worship, it's the worship leader's fault or the pastor's fault. I made excuse after excuse. That earthly lady, that earthy lady twirling her flamboyant flags at 90 miles an hour is too distracting. This style of music is just not my thing. The worship team must not care that much about God. If they all run out for coffee the minute they step off the stage, half these dancing people are just drifting with the flow of general enthusiasm. They don't know what they're dancing for. I even began using my singing gift to stock up on ammunition. How can I worship when this guy next to me keeps undressing the backup singer with his eyes? Why should I care what the worship leader is singing about if all he can think about is his marital problems? It's too hard to focus on God when the drummer is constantly worrying about looking good on stage. Then I saw a worship angel. I had seen angels worshiping before. The colorful and often abstract beings adorned the stages and wrote on the words of every church body during every single one of those 780 services. The beauty and grace with which they expressed their devotion to God was always a source of great enjoyment and encouragement. But until that day, however, I had never truly seen a worship angel. The angel looked young. Angels exist outside of time and are therefore without age. But she looked no older than 16. 
Two brightly lit angels danced through the air above her, twirling and twisting in a way that left several trails of iridescent light. She wore a pale robe. It was the same off-white color you would paint the waiting room in a dentist's office and had her hair drawn back in a simple ponytail. She sat on her knees with her face pressed into the carpet and her arms extended outward, palms flat on the floor. Every few seconds, she would lift her face from the carpet and gaze toward the ceiling. Tears poured down her cheeks, more in waves than droplets. Her arms reached to the heavens, stretching out desperately while still maintaining a posture of thankfulness. The look on her face caused my heart to skip a beat. Painful depths of longing were being answered by waves of fulfillment so complete that satisfaction and joy were more tangible than the ground under my feet. This cycle of yearning and gratification continued, back and forth, faster and faster, until I could hardly bear to watch it. The angel must have felt the same, because just as I felt my heart was about to burst, she resumed her face-down position on the carpet. Overwhelmed and ashamed, I turned away from the angel. The purity of her passion made the apathy of my heart feel suddenly pathetic and petty. Looking back at the show-off drummer, I couldn't help but see his desire to do well in his worship to God. The dangerously twirling flag woman looked more like a child, overwhelmed with joy, than an attention-starved spinster. Even the man who kept glaring at the backup singer had a heart that was visibly smoldering with hunger for an encounter with God's heart. Didn't take long for me to realize that I was seeing worship the way God did. No insecurity, selfishness, or sin was powerful enough to hide his children from his affections. His love instantly overcame it all. He never reprimanded me for having a bad attitude, and he never asked me to change. However, seeing his love for his people made it impossible for me to ignore the goodness that he put in each one of them. It made me sad that I had let such trivial issues sabotage my desire to express my love to him. He certainly wasn't letting their quirks and inadequacy hamper his ability to receive their love. People, we have got to get out of this flesh into the spirit. Amen. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I think we have time for one more angel. Y'all ready for one more type of angel? Y'all with me? Personal angels? Personal angels do in fact guard you during your daily comings and goings. But I don't like it when people call them guardian angels. To consider them a kind of one-man personal secret service is a tragic oversimplification. A personal angel is more like a resourceful personal assistant than a muscle-bound bouncer. I never met anyone with more than one 
and I never met anyone without one. You can learn a lot about someone by looking at his or her personal angel. A sick and fat angel is usually paired with a person who doesn't spend any time in God's presence. A sunny and bouncy angel is often accompanied by a cheery girl with a deep passion for worship, while a dignified and precisely dressed angel might be partnered with the CEO of a major corporation. Then again, sometimes the elated dancing angel is paired with the CEO, while the prim and proper angel is doing its best to look dignified while the cheery worship girl is dancing and twirling around the room. Whether by being opposites or complementary, personal angels always add a divine accent to their people. Maybe it's just because they hang out with people more often than other angels. But personal angels seem to have a lot more personality than others. Perhaps they spent so much time in the day-to-day -day happenings of the human stage play that all the parts have become familiar. They smile with matriarchal satisfaction at the teenager who's stumbling his way through a conversation with a pretty girl. See, he's seen all this. He's not just, this is not fiction. They watch with concern as we fight our way through difficult choices. They embrace us with brotherly love when storms of responsibility threaten to surge forth and devour us whole. Personal angels, much like parents, see us at our best, at our worst, when we're young, when we're old, when we're smart, and when we're dumb. It's encouraging that despite all this, they still find us to be worth their company. Now, no matter what you're doing, there's an angel standing beside you watching you do it. And they do report to heaven what's going on. Okay. Let's do a little bit of activation angels for our clothes. I lived in a bad part of town during my third year at the school of ministry. This was because I had almost no money. I felt even at the time that it was the perfect bachelor experience before my upcoming marriage. The, uh, I won't use the word he used, but the apartment was messy with roommates, endless supply of junk food, and regular all-night video game sessions were the ideal contrast to the new life. I would be entering, being the bonds of holy matrimony. And I, no wonder guys want their own, what do they call it? Their man cave. Their shell or man cave. <laughs> we didn't have one of those. I went all my rooms pretty. And I planned, and I planned to enjoy it while it lasted. One particular night I was on my way back from a convenience store that was situated just a few dozen yards from our apartment building. I wouldn't likely be mistaken for a bodybuilder or a boxing champion, but I am over six feet of reasonably built masculinity that it could at least send a fist into the general direction of an assailant if necessary. 
Still, I was happy to be getting home before the sun fully set. I was well into a bag of sour cream and cheddar chips, which had been surprisingly difficult to eat without dropping the rest of my shopping bags. When I arrived at my front door, I paused with my hand on the doorknob, feeling a presence arrive behind me. These unexpected visits had recently become a more regular occurrence, so I wasn't surprised to find an angel when I turned around. He was at least four, a foot taller than me with shining hair and sharp features. His armor was absolutely pristine and was solid gold wrapped in irregular but intentional patterns around his arms and torso. There were no marks or scratches on any part of the armor, but something about the gray in his eyes made it clear that this angel had seen his fair share of war. Hi, I said. <laughs> I'm not going to tell that angel standing in front of my fireplace. Hi, what you doing here? I didn't do that. I asked God what he was doing there, which is what I should do. But see, he spoke to this angel. Hi, I said. But if you live with that many angels, you know, wondering if he was eyeing my bag of tasty snacks. <laughs> Come with me, he said. That may seem abrupt, but from the bit of personality I could discern in our three-second relationship, I guess it was probably cordial, cordial by his standards. <laughs> Having learned better than to ignore such requests, I tossed the stacks in my car and followed the angel out to the sidewalk. He walked two paces in front of me, leading along the main street that ran in front of my apartment. He stopped to look both ways at each crossing, which made me laugh. The last bit of sun was giving way to the yellowish glow of street lamps and headlights, reminding me that walking alone down this particular street at night was not especially wise. This drew my attention to the double-sided spear that hung across the angel's back. Each end was crowned by a flat, leafy blade that looked both decorative and immensely sharp. Looking at it put me at ease. We made our way down two and a half blocks. Steady flow of traffic kept things noisy on our right, while varying degrees of low-income housing formed the um, scenery to our left. Without word or signal, the angel suddenly stopped. His reasoning quickly became clear. While every house along the sidewalk was lit by outdoor lights or at least the gentle flicker of a television near a window, the house that the angel had decided to stop at was in complete darkness. A wrought iron fence closed off the dilapidated yard and a sickly black cloud covered the roof. A twisted arch made the same darkness that covered the roof hung over the gate. Well, I said, turning to my angelic companion, what do we do? Secretly, I began writing my list of excuses if the plan had anything to do with me going into the dark house. Much to my relief, the angel responded by pulling the double-ended spear from his back. A single slash sent a bolt of light into the front door. Wind rushed past me and blew the darkness away as easily as smoke. The street lights seemed lighter than the dark with the darkness gone, and the malign weight no longer pressing against my chest. Perplexed. Perplexed, I turned.
turned to the angel and asked, what did you need me for? I didn't do anything. That made him smile for the first time since he arrived. I wouldn't have been allowed to be here if you didn't come with me. Hmm. Kingdom of God is a place of pervasive life and perpetual activity. Everything is moving and everything has a story and everything is alive. So we have our part. I won't go any farther with angels because I want to activate this in us if you're willing. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.